Hello, I'm Martijn Gaat and this is Does Logistics Matter, a podcast on trends and innovations in supply chain and logistics. Answering yes to the question today is futurist and author Amelia Coleman. In this episode, we talk about the impact of AI on supply chain and logistics operations, how augmented reality will change retail as we know it, the risks of powerful AI, and the steps companies can take to safely implement these new technologies. Please enjoy my conversation with Amelia Kalman. Hi, Amelia. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Amelia, the, the question, the first question of this podcast is always the same question. And that question is, obviously, does logistics matter? Well, my answer is absolutely. I think it can be the difference between retaining customers or losing customers. I think it is becoming more important all the time, especially as people's attention spans really wane and we see companies capitalizing on prioritizing logistics. And I think it is only going to get more important, especially as new technologies come in to influence supply chain and logistics. Um, and and what is what is your personal uh, link to to logistics? So I'm a futurist. So it's my job to know about the latest new and coming technologies and their mm -hmm. potential impact on the future of business and our lives. So I am an expert in the different technologies and then how they influence different areas like things like retail and supply chain, as well as other industries I speak on and do reports on and consulting. So when mm -hmm. it comes to things like logistics and supply chain, I am mostly studying things like the impact of generative AI or the impact of meta-hybrid working, the future of retail, which includes virtual as well as the digital and physical, and how that impacts all the different areas across the supply chain and logistics line. Oh, that sounds absolutely uh, that sounds absolutely great and interesting. Uh, some of the things you mentioned uh, I, I know about, uh, but some of the things you mentioned I don't know about. So um, uh, yeah, so can please please tell us more about uh, about these new technologies. Uh, you are talking about uh, generative AI. I think, uh, well, if you've uh, if you've not heard of ChatGPT, you've been <laughs> living under a rock. I think, um, but it's uh, for for many businesses. I can, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, for many businesses, it, it may be difficult to know what to do with it. Yeah, so it is the biggest thing to happen to AI in our lifetime so far. Mm. And why it is different from any kind of innovation we've had with AI in the past is before we had to manually train and it meant that AIs were trained on millions of parameters and data points. Mm -hmm. But now AI is able to sift through and select from unstructured and unlabeled data, which means that it can be trained on trillions of parameters and data mm. points. So it's just gotten that much more smarter. And why everybody's sort of talking about it at the moment is because 
these smaller startup AI companies essentially kind of went rogue by introducing their R&D models into the public for us to train with our own questions and our own data. So all the big tech companies were also working on their own large language models or foundational Mm -hmm. models, whatever you want to call them. But they had sort of an unspoken agreement that they weren't going to release these into the public until they reached a level of maturity. And what I mean by that is being able to have some level of explainability, being able to rank truth or different sources, um, being able to not make things up and hallucinate when they don't know the answers, things like this. So the big tech companies, when these came out, I think the other thing too was the business model. So I think they had anticipated that they would sell these into the Accentures and the KPMY, KPMGs and all those big kind of companies. So with these startups introducing it into the public for free, this was quite disruptive for everyone. Mm. And now we yeah. see Microsoft have invested $10 billion into OpenAI. We have Google that have kind of scrounged and put theirs out. Uh, Facebook have one coming out with six different kinds of search methods. Amazon uses it internally. They may come out and make it public. So, I mean, it's all happening. It's all, it's all kicking off. So, so, and if we then, then look at uh, supply chain or, or maybe a little bit more specific uh, retail, what can, uh, what can these uh, industries uh, do with these, uh, with these new technologies with, uh, with, with, uh, uh, with chat GPT or open AI or the, 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 what do you call them? Generative, generative AI. Yeah, so large language models, foundational models, generative AI, yes, all of these Mm -hmm. things. So it is having impact across the board. Um, People are tend to be familiar with content and how it's impacting being able to accelerate content creation. Very soon, we are going to be able to see an example of moving from inputting text or speech or images and instead of just getting something 2d we'll be able to get something 3d out and Mm. a lot of companies are working on this i'm already starting to see examples of this coming down from uh very exclusive high-end expensive (laughs) software Um, but we know even companies like roblox are working on this and this is going to be a huge bridge into the future internet, which we sometimes call the metaverse. So essentially, Mm -hmm. the future of our internet is moving from 2D to 3D. And again, all the major tech companies are hoping, working towards a future where we have a third must-have device, and that would be a pair of smart glasses. So today, we don't actually have the computing and processing and networking power to support that mass adoption, to be able to support you know, the technology in a small pair of glasses, like one that we might Mm -hmm. wear ourselves every day, but that's where they are, are working towards. So in addition to owning a smartphone and a laptop, they very much want a third must have device into the mainstream market. And what this will also mean is that this 3D spatial internet is going to come into our physical locations and we're going to be able to use AI to geopin 
uh, 3D graphics, animations that are personalized, that are gamified mm -hmm. to different physical locations. And we can actually do this today. Uh, Google have geospatial SDK. And in a day's time, you can create a 3D digital animated facade to your building. But where AI comes in and gets really interesting is being able to make those experiences adaptable to individuals. So no longer are we looking at creating just a product or a service or an experience that is for everybody. We're looking at being able to have the, the power to design so that it can adapt to individual behaviors and patterns and preferences. And this is pretty revolutionary. This is pretty big when it comes to um, design, which influences things like supply chain as well. And I can actually share with you um, an example specifically about generative AI and, um, and how it's being used by um, one retailer that's really disrupting supply chain. Mm -hmm. So Sheen is a fast fashion company that has actually moved from fast fashion into real-time fashion. And they have created their own AI that scrapes yeah. data off of social media and it's able to predict the trends of what's going to happen, be on trend tomorrow, what's going to be on trend next week. And it takes that information and it gives it to their designers. And the designers make the designs, give it to their manufacturers, and then it gets sold. So they have taken what usually takes the concept to consumer process three weeks, and they have gotten this down to three days. And they are creating 5,000 new items a day, which is 20 times more than their competitors at H&M and Zara. And I believe that this is going to get even faster because there's nothing stopping the AIs now from also creating those designs. And it will still have to go through a human who can say, yes, that's good. No, that's not good. Tweak this. That's a good idea. Maybe we can expand on that, that kind of thing. But we'll see this getting yeah. even faster. And as a result, we're seeing an entire industry arise out of offering these AI bolt-ons to competitors who need to be able to compete with the machines in their industry, no matter what industry they're in. So, uh, but when you're when you're saying uh, five thousand items, my my supply chain mind immediately goes, "Wow! How do they, you know, how do they source those?" I mean, I can I can see how AI could make uh, designing things really fast, and also seeing things in the market uh, and and seeing a certain trend. Um, but then, you know, how how does this company have the the like the production capacity to 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 actually physically put out these five thousand new items. Yeah, so it's on demand. Um, so when it sells, it gets produced. It goes through that product. But they also have their own um, software that is used across the board from the designers all the way through to the manufacturers, and every, that means that everybody is linked up. So. If there is a manufacturer who is snowed under and won't be able to produce that much, then it goes to somebody who has the capacity. Um, so it's able to mm -hmm. scale in real time, 
which I think is really fascinating. And and, and currently there are and currently there are more they are more on the uh, on the on the custom like more on the custom side like um, um, low numbers like low numbers when it comes or is it like because H and M does like I don't know one hundred or thousands or or millions of t shirts but that's all pretty large volumes. And this, because it's so fast and so specific, it's uh, lower volumes? Um, unless it's really popular, and then they scale it up so that they uh, have the capacity yeah. to um, to sell more if those items are, are selling greater or to cut an item if it's not being sold at all. And it's also a completely online company. They don't have physical brick mm -hmm. and mortar. Um, and also... it uses the same algorithms as TikTok, which is the same algorithms as casinos and gambling. So it makes people constantly want to see what is new, what is next. And so they're going back to the ah. app and checking because they're constantly releasing new items. Is it so? Is it also like because you, you're mentioning uh, tic, uh, TikTok, which, yeah, for those that are, are listening that are are less social media savvy, is a platform really based on short short movie clips with um, well sound bites with video in in all sorts of uh, ways. Um, uh, TikTok has it now. Instagram has such a feature. Um, uh, YouTube has such a feature. I mean, all these social platforms have this this uh, video feature. So, do they do this in a in a content way as well, or is it just scrolling new items, or is it also a multimedia uh, experience? Absolutely, it's multimedia, and they really play in the influencers market as well. Um, I just saw some statistics the other day. I think it's um, people have said that that they trust influencers now more than they trust advertising and brands. So they really want that person to say, you know, this is a great item. This is what we have. Mm -hmm. And that's another actually really interesting way because we're seeing a rise of AI influencers who again, work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and they are able to take real time data from what is trending on social media and be able to produce content that is relevant and contextualized to their specific audience, as well as interact, mm -hmm. write comments, all these kind of things as well. What would your advice be for more established um, uh, companies with um, with more yeah with more traditional supply chains and 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 uh, traditional um, uh, yeah ways of how they've designed their their retail operations? So besides content generation, which I think a lot of people know about, I think where generative AI is really standing to offer new opportunities to logistics and supply chain companies are in the areas of personalization and predictability, as well as mm -hmm. productivity. So MIT recently did a study where they empowered customer service representatives with AI assistance, and they found that this made them 14% more productive. They were able to resolve 14% mm -hmm. more cases an hour. And what I found really interesting is that it took people who had up to two months worth of experience and it elevated them to make them equal to people who had six months worth of experience. So this kind of like yeah. immediate upscaling 
Then when it comes to personalization, I mentioned before this idea that we can start to create and design products that um, are adaptable and and um, change developing on um, depending on someone's personal preferences and patterns mm-hmm. and behaviors, as well as sentiment, being able to judge someone's sentiment. If somebody's having a bad day or somebody's having a good day, being able to adapt the product or the service or the experience in that way. And then, of course, we have predictability. And that is a huge one, especially when it comes to supply chain and logistics, being able to take historical data and combine that with real-time data to be able to make judgments immediately that are going to have the best possible outcome. Mm -hmm. I mentioned before, one of the things lacking right now from from AI is this explainability, being able to say why it got to a certain conclusion or how it got to a certain answer. And there's a company called Rainbird AI that is actually able to take historical data, take real-time data of your company and how you Mm -hmm. make decisions as a whole and is able to make a visualization and a map of that. So then you can start to automate decision-making and you know, something, a decision that might take, you know, all the C-level representatives three days, you know, on a retreat to decide can actually be decided now in minutes using this, um, this kind of thing. And you're able to scale up, turn up and down the volume of variables. So if you go in this Mm -hmm. direction, what would that outcome look like? If you go in this direction, what would that outcome look like? And what this really means is that when it comes to things like compliance, being able to show how you got from point A to point B, this becomes a really big asset. Because what we're really lacking right now is any kind of ability to audit how this technology is being used. Um, One of my biggest problems with it is that it has been released into the public without a user guide, without any kind of you know, um, directions or instructions about its limitations because we're reaching this quality barrier that I think has come faster than anybody anticipated where we're seeing that, you know, it can, we're running out of data to train it on, you know, public data for one thing. And so where I think it's going to move is, is, is into smaller language models. And I mean, eventually we could each have our own personal one. Um, You know, companies Mm -hmm. are having their own. We have the example of Bloomberg GPT, which has uh, chat GPT, and then they have their layer of financial data on top of it. So if you're in the financial industry and you want an accurate answer, that one is going to be able to serve you better than a general chat GPT-4, even though that was trained on 100 trillion parameters, things like that. Yeah. yeah well, and still garbage in is garbage out. So so not everything that goes into the model uh, is uh, is of good quality. Uh, I mean, I've, uh, I, you know, I've um, uh, t- uh, tried chat GPT, uh, tried, tried lots of things. And the, the, yeah, the quality varies. Obviously, what uh, the the question that you ask uh, is is important. The quality of the question is important, 
but still the the quality of the content um, it it kind of it it kind of looks nice, but it's the same the the text quality is the same as some of the image quality. It looks great, but if you just look a little bit further, you see that the people have seven fingers. And it's the it's it's you know and it's the same with uh, with text. But I absolutely see the the advantages. You were talking about some of the things like uh, automating decision making and also making uh, something like a um, like a customer service um, uh, more efficient. Um, yeah, I see a link with the automation that that we see going on in uh, in logistics operations as well, where robots are, uh, are are doing the the more of the standard things and the, the 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 heavy lifting and the repetitive things and humans are moving more into um uh, added value activities so the standard stuff is being handled by uh, automation and robots or in this case ai which is uh, which is a I, let's say a software a robot um yeah, and and that that gives uh, that gives us many possibilities as well. Yeah, I was going to tell you a quick story. So I'm a judge at the AV Awards, mm-hmm. and I have just finished judging. I think there was 45 entries, and I would say about five of them were written by ChatGPT, and I could tell. Ah, and they used all yeah. the right words. You know, all the right words are there, but you can tell that it lacks soul. It lacks passion. It lacks a human Mm. behind it. And for that worker, that person who did it, they probably got 10 things checked off their list that day. And maybe without ChatGPT, they would have only gotten five. But again, it's the quality that comes out. And to be honest, it did influence how I judged them, you know, because you kind of think as a human, I'm a human reading this. If a human, you know, can't be bothered to say that this was an amazing product and or project or whatever, you know, like it makes me care less mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. Um, but I guess in the future, this idea that we all might have our own smaller language models that are based on our own data, our own tone of voice, our own um, preferences, the way we talk and the way we speak about things that we're passionate about in the future, mm-hmm. this might actually come across more human. And another thing when it comes to retail and supply chain that I find interesting is our our at-home smart speakers. Um, Mm -hmm. They believe that when we include these large language models into our smart speakers, that this is going Mm -hmm. to increase sales done directly through our speakers by up to 98%. And this is the original concept right? That's the co- the original concept of these speakers was to become more like a companion, to become, you know, a colleague, someone you can bounce ideas off of and be mm-hmm. more assured in the decisions that they help you make. And again, with customer service, being able to increase that, accelerate that, you know, we've seen bots. And I think a lot of us have been quite frustrated with the friction that we can have sometimes with customer service bots taking you around in in circles. And you kind of think, I just really want to talk to a human who understands. Mm -hmm. So if we're able to replicate that with AI and able to um, 
answer calls on the first ring and resolve cases within five minutes. Most people say that they that that's absolutely fine and they will take that over waiting in line on hold to speak mm. to a human for yeah. hours. Yeah. So, so uh, what what uh, other technologies uh, do you see that ha that can have a, a a big impact on on supply chain and on on retail? So we have generative AI. You uh, mentioned the metaverse. Uh, um, uh, uh, can can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. So one thing to keep in mind is that by 2030, 58% of the workforce is going to be made up of Gen Z and millennials. We have yeah. Gen Alpha entering the workforce, and we'll also have the largest population of people over 60 ever, many of whom yeah. will still be working. We have 59% of experts agreeing that we are going to continue to see companies decrease their physical real estate in favor of things mm -hmm. like short-term leases, co-working spaces, and continued remote home working. So we're mm -hmm. looking at having the most disparate workforce ever with varying levels of experience as well as different levels of expectations. And I think yeah. over the last couple of years with the pandemic and COVID, we've all come face to face with the constraints and downfalls of both physical working and yeah. digital working. And introducing this virtual aspect into this, what I, what I call meta hybrid working, which includes physical, digital, and virtual, I think is going mm -hmm. to be key in moving us forward as far as productivity goes, accelerating things like collaboration and design. So when it comes to supply chain and logistics, being able to really be able to meet with your entire supply chain in one room virtually, you know, to be able to add that sense of virtual presence and immersion and uh, persistence and social aspect, I think is going to be really important. And it's also going to be a great equalizer because as much as we hate to admit it, I think, you know, people tend to make judgments based on somebody's age um, or how they look. And you take that away and we're all avatars and it kind of will equalize people in a way that I think is going to be really interesting and have a dramatic impact on the workforce. And so we can really reach this level of true globalization. And I think when it comes to supply chain and logistics, it it takes it away from thinking how far away China is, you know, from England or from the U.S. or something, mm -hmm. you know, and and really puts everyone in the same room and um, and is able to humanize the digital and virtual experience in a way that we previously could only do physically. Okay. So, and you are, you, you are talking about um, uh, avatars and I was, uh, when you were talking about this, I was thinking about more the uh, like digital copies of ourselves that are so good that um, if I am, uh, talking about a problem to to the supply chain team, and I and I see one of my colleagues who is from China starting to look worried. You know, then I can address him and say, "Hey, you're starting to look worried. Is there is there something going on in your operation that uh, that that you are worrying about? How can we solve this?" And I was thinking along these ways, but when you are talking about the avatars uh, and 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 taking. A, 
like making us more uh, equal and the same. Um, uh, it also, I also thought, oh, then maybe I we also lose the the facial expression and the emotion, which is the I would say one of the the added benefits of getting a more personal experience when um, when when doing business with people. Yeah, no, that's true, and that's a really good point. Yeah, I think we're going to have the option. And, you know, like on things like Zoom now, you can have augmented filters that, you know, mm-hmm. make you look fresh and bright and those kind of things. We'll have yeah, the same yeah, yeah. options for our avatars, you know. Um, yep. But we're also, I mean, here comes AI again. I think we're also moving into an age where it's going to become difficult digitally to trust what we see and what we hear. And I think inside virtual spaces, there is an opportunity to be able to solve that problem. And what I'm talking about here is things like deep fakes. And uh, we're already seeing this kind of go mainstream. There's a social media called Twin Chat that offers an endless scroll of fake celebrity news and interviews. And essentially what they've done is they've scraped the internet for interviews with a thousand celebrities and Mm -hmm. created what they call a mind deep fake. So, you know, if I, you ever wanted relationship advice from Taylor Swift, you can, you know, now have that (laughs) fake conversation, right. And find Mm -hmm. out. But the, but the worry here is that while intellectually we understand that this isn't real, our brains are trained to believe what we see and what we hear. So we can anticipate that this is going to become weaponized in future elections and politically. Yeah. And um, and this is all kind of some of the risks that we need to be thinking about with these technologies. Another risk yeah. that I talk about is the environmental impact. Um, so I recently did a TED talk asking the question, is the metaverse bad for the environment? And that's on YouTube yeah. if anybody wants to check it out. But I'm also now looking into the environmental impact of generative AI. And we know things like to do a search, uh, it already uses four to five times more energy than doing a regular (sighs) search. Tons of energy, yeah. Yeah. And training these models is very, uh, you know, energy consuming. And so as we look to maybe move away from large language models like the chat GPTs into more personalized models for individual yeah. companies or for people eventually, that's a lot of energy and and quite a significant footprint potentially. And all these mm-hmm. companies that I work with say, I'm going to be net zero by 2025 or 2030. And they're not considering not only AI, but also the footprint of the data. Once we move from a 2D internet yeah. into a mm-hmm. 3D internet, our data moves yep, from more 2D data. to 3D. And then also things like blockchain. Um, So there's a lot to be discussed here. And I think we have to really keep in mind that we need to keep our goals flexible, but also be inclusive of all these things that are coming down the line. Now, I, I absolutely agree. Now, I, I think we could <laughs> go go on for hours about all these new technologies and new possibilities. Um, but um, if you don't mind, I, I like to um, go to, um, yeah, let, well, let's say the, the, the final question. 
And my final question to you is: What? Um, so, what? What? What would be the 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 first steps companies could take um, when when looking at these new technologies that uh, you have just described? Absolutely. So I often say the best way to learn is from doing. And mm -hmm. when it comes to, say, generative AI, identify areas in your business that could, that an AI assistant could add value to the human experience, could yeah. make somebody's life easier and map out what a life cycle of implementing this technology is. So is it, you know, for a quarter? Is it for six months? Is it for a year? Yeah. What would you ideally like to see as the benefits come out of this? And then start small, start with implementing it in one area of your business with one team that's dedicated to seeing this through. And out of that experience, you will learn more than you could just from reading about it or listening to somebody like me and then being able to take that active experience that you've had and that will inform how you can start to expand it throughout the business. But I think it's important to see it through the life cycle, to not treat this as a toy, to take it seriously and to begin now. Also to empower your employees to also, if they feel motivated and they feel excited to, um, they see an opportunity to implement it, to support that and to be able to audit it. And that's my second point, which is have a governance plan in place. Be able mm -hmm. to internally audit how it's being used, audit the ROI. And this probably means that for any IT workers out there, your jobs just got a bit harder, but probably also <laughs> a bit cooler because you get to do something that is new and exciting. So I'd say mm. really try to embrace that and get on board with that. But we have to make sure that As companies and individuals, we are being responsible with this technology because we cannot wait for regulators to tell us what to do or somebody else to set an industry standard. We have to be responsible for ourselves. Okay. So um, be, be bold and try. Yes. But on the same side on uh, but on the same side of, of, of that coin, be or the other side of the coin, also be careful and uh, uh, audit what you do. Yes. Okay. Uh, excellent advice. Um, well, for those interested in the TED Talk um, uh, on logisticsmatter.com, uh, we'll, uh, I'll put the link uh, in, in, the, uh, in the article there so people can click it and watch that talk. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch it. Uh, very interested. Um, Amelia, I want to uh, thank you for, for, uh, for telling us more about all these uh, new technologies. And uh, it's look, it looks like we're in for, for, uh, in a, yeah, for even a more exciting times than we are already in. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Does Logistics Matter? For more on trends and innovations in supply chain and logistics, visit our blog on logisticsmatter.com. If you want to be a guest on this podcast, please send an email to podcast at logisticsmatter.com. This podcast was produced by Dimitri Vleugel. The music is based on a sample by Ruggerman and produced by Michael Spengler. This episode was supported by Amelia Coleman. 
Amelia is a futurist speaker and author on innovation and technology. She consults brands, agencies and governments on the impact of new technologies on the future of business and our lives. For more information, visit ameliacallman.com. That's A-M-E-L-I-A-K-A-L-L-M-A-N.com.